What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome inside the Gin Jag podcast. We're headed into week 10 of the regular season. Your Jacksonville Jaguars just fell to their divisional foes, the Houston Texans, for the second time this season. But as the Jaguars fall behind in the standings, they soar up the 2021 NFL Draft Board. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Today we will take a look back at the loss to the Texans, look ahead to the matchup with the Packers, and take a look at the path to the draft for the Jaguars. Jeremy, how are we this fine Tuesday? Uh, we're doing all right, man. Another divisional game, another divisional loss. On the bright side of things, it seems like the only good thing the Texans can do this year is beat the Jaguars. So not saying much for them either, but, I mean, again, you saw some things you liked. You saw a lot of things you didn't like, and here we are again on another uh, losing week for the Jaguars. Yeah. want to remind everyone, though, that wins are not the Jaguars' friend right now. The key to the rest of the season, for me, is talent evaluation and player development and locking up one of those top draft picks. Are you on the same boat? We are absolutely on the same page. Um, as much as it pains me to watch the Jaguars lose every week, the future of the franchise is in the balance. So just like you said, the rest of this year, evaluate the talent you have. Try to you know develop some of this young talent, see where you need to improve, and and get ready because with the amount of draft capital and cap that you're going to have up next year's salary, I think they're looking at about a hundred million dollars. You're going to need to make a big change if you want to have some winning ways here in Duval. Certainly, and I'd like to remind everybody to check out GenJag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis, and to get all your Duval merch. We just dropped a brand new bleed teal tee. Love that design on there. Again, that's genjag.com. Some of the latest storylines that we've been checking out on the website. We uh, took a look at the draft stock that the Jaguars have now. Obviously, that changed this weekend. We'll talk about that. Did a little film room breakdown of the game. Obviously, we looked at some of the injuries going on. And uh, 
We'll touch on the injuries after we take a look at some notes here from around the league. COVID cases are soaring in the NFL and around the country. NFL owners just unanimously approved a plan this afternoon to expand playoffs to 16 teams if the regular season cannot be completed. Roger Goodell's plan and focus is still on completing 17 uh, 17 weeks of the regular season. So this is an worst-case scenario for the NFL. If they can't play all 16 games, they will expand the playoff field from 14 to 16. So it's kind of news that's not really news until it becomes news down the future. So we'll see how that all plays out, obviously. And then uh, Jake Luton and James Robinson, they're both nominated for Pepsi Rookie of the Week. You can vote for them at NFL.com slash rookies. And now here's something really interesting that just popped up on my timeline. Colin Coward, who, from my perspective, is one of the biggest buffoons in sports media, says Bill Belichick should go to Jacksonville after this season. (laughs) I understand his point in the fact that the Jaguars could have a brand new quarterback, you know, top two, three quarterback, uh, young rookie quarterback next year. They will have that cap room, and basically Belichick would have his say in Jacksonville and could kind of run the show. And all that makes sense, but it still seems laughable to me. It's an absolute blasphemous take. I don't understand. Like you said, Colin Coward is nothing but a stooge. He's just, I, I don't listen when he talks. This is just coming out of the woodworks. I don't think Belichick's leaving New England in the first place. Um, you know, they, they've got a lot of good stuff coming their way. They're going to have a high draft pick for the first time in about 20 years. Uh, they've got a crapped pile of, of salary cap to use. And if he does leave, why in the hell would he come to Jacksonville? It just seems completely out of the sorts, and, and I don't buy into any of it. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I get the points about Jacksonville being an attractive job next year, but Belichick, really? It is an attractive job, don't get me wrong, but it's not attractive for a guy like Belichick. What else does he have to prove You know, in the NFL? I, I just don't see it. If you're, if you're an up-and-coming GM or somebody that needs a new start or somebody you know that hasn't already set yourself in NFL history, I, I get that, but not for Belichick. Yeah, that That would be something else to see Bill Belichick roaming the sidelines down here in Duval. A big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. You can also find them online at boldcitybrewery.com. So, getting into injuries. Unfortunately, we saw Josh Lambeau go down at the end of the game after he attempted that onside kick. He is out for the rest of the season Big loss for the Jaguars, obviously. He re-injured his hip. And uh, the Jaguars, they signed Aldrick Rosas, who was with the team earlier. He's suspended for the next couple of weeks, but they signed him to the practice squad. And then they also signed Chase McLaughlin from Minnesota's practice squad to the active roster. So we'll be dealing with the kicking carousel again yet in Duval, unfortunately. Hopefully Lambeau can return healthy in 2021 and get back to being, you know, the best kicker in football. You really hate to see it. I mean, the dude was having a heck of a game, just nailed a 59 yarder. Obviously we saw the mixed extra point that came back to bite us in the butt a little bit. Uh, But, you know, like you said, give Josh Lambeau some credit. 
He is the best kicker in football. Really sucks to see him go down, but get healthy, get right. This team's not going anywhere. We need you next year, number four. I know. It's kind of crazy that he nailed that 59-yarder, tied the franchise record, obviously. Josh Scobie made a 59-yarder against the Colts to uh, to seal a victory in Jacksonville, I think, back in 2009. Hell of a game that was. And then you see Lambeau come out and uh, tie that record. Just such a shame to see him you know, go down to injury after all that excitement. Yeah, it really is uh, definitely an unfortunate series of events for the guy. I mean, obviously you saw how much this team struggled without him. Um, finally get a, you know, get a guy that is consistent. We haven't had that since Scobie. Injury issues are popping up. We hope that it's not going to be a lingering thing, especially when you get into hips, hammies, knees, you know, anything – for a kicker involving the leg, there's always cause for concern, especially in the long term. Yeah, definitely. Now on the brighter side, LaVisca Chenault, he injured his hamstring and did not return to the game after that injury, but he could be ready to go in week 10, apparently. A uh, much better result than originally expected there, and he could be ready to go sooner rather than later. I wouldn't rush him back in his rookie year, a season that's lost for the 1-7 and seven Jaguars, but Good news that it's not a serious injury for LaVisca. Definitely, especially with LaVisca being a guy who's had some injury problems in the past. It's great to hear that he avoided any major injury on Sunday. Just like you said, though, no need to rush him back. I don't want him back until he's 110%. The season's in the toilet. Let's not rush a guy back, get him hurt, and you know jeopardize the future of his career uh, and his development. Definitely play this one slow. There's no reason to get him back in there if he's not 110%. Yeah, Doug Costin, who got his first start of his young career this past weekend, the interior defensive lineman, he's in concussion protocol, so we'll monitor that throughout the week. He played very well, uh, taking more snaps than Taven Bryan at that three-tech spot. And then you've got DJ Hayden and Andrew Wingard that are eligible to return from IR this week. So we'll make sure to keep an eye on that throughout the week to see if they are activated. And then... uh, Marone also yesterday confirmed that Jake Luton will start again in Week 10. Minshew is making progress with that injured thumb, but not enough progress to get back out onto the field uh, just a week after missing the first game with that injury. And quite frankly, I think Luton would start even if Minshew was healthy this week. First thing with Costin, definitely unfortunate to see that. Like you said, he seems to be surpassing Brian on the depth chart. We've got an open spot there. Someone needs to step up and, and take that role. And he played pretty well from what I saw. Um, Hayden Wingard, eligible return from IR this week, you mentioned. I don't know how much of an impact that's going to make. Uh, this defense is, is is pretty, pretty bad. But Luton starting again in Week 10. Marone was not shy about uh, emphasizing that immediately. I guess they knew that this was going to be a multi-week recovery for Gardner Minshew. I'm not sure if I'm starting Luton if Minshew's healthy, per se. I don't necessarily agree with that, but we'll see what uh, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I, I – uh, uh, But I think that the Jaguars would. Uh, you would hope not. I mean, again, like this whole season was banking on seeing what this guy can do. Uh, no matter what the case is, he should play it out. You really should should have him play it out, give everything that he has, give him a full 16 games. Obviously, you're not going to get 16 because of the injury, but you need to see him all the way through to the end. But we'll see if Luton can correct some of the mistakes he made last week, and he's going to have another chance to really kind of vault himself. If we see a very strong performance, you may see him finish out the season. 
Yeah, and going back to DJ Hayden real quick, it is interesting to see how the rest of the season will play out for him because he's in a contract year. Um, probably not going to be in Jacksonville next year, if I had to guess, based on the guys behind him on the roster with Herndon and Josiah Scott. And he's a guy who's missed a lot of time since coming to Jacksonville, but at that nickel cornerback position, there's been very few guys since he joined the Jaguars that have been better than him around the league. One of the better guys at that position, but of course he's dealt with those injuries, has been dealing with injuries this year, and didn't play great to start the year. So it'll be really interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out for him as he's going to try to earn a new contract here or elsewhere. You definitely said it best. He has been one of the best nickel slot guys in the league over the past few years. Obviously, age is creeping up. He's dealing with that injury issue. Uh, you know, Money is going to be something that the Jaguars probably are going to want to look at, look at focusing elsewhere, maybe on some youth, especially in that secondary. So I don't expect to see DJ Hayden back in Duval, but like you said, he's going to have to get on the field, get some tape, and uh, prove himself to some other teams. Yeah, now jumping into Jaguars versus Texans, we obviously all know the Jaguars lost to the Texans by a score of 27-25 to 25 this past Sunday. Uh, it was Luton's first start, as we mentioned. I thought he was up and down in his performance. A lot of people have kind of been raving about what he did, maybe people that just kind of look at the box score. But you look at those five turnover-worthy plays, I think you're playing a better defense. Um if you are playing a better defense, they're going to take advantage of that. But again, it is encouraging. First start for a six-round pick and uh, able to show off his big arm. On the first drive of the game, he finds DJ Chark in stride, makes it look effortless for a 73-yard touchdown. Has a lot of nice throws throughout the day and then obviously showed off his legs uh, at the end of the game as he scored that touchdown to get the Jaguars within two points of tying the game. So I think it was encouraging, but at the same time, this narrative can be completely different if the Texans capitalize on a couple of those uh, plays that Luton left out there for him. It could be a complete 180. You could be looking at, you know, one touchdown and three or four interceptions. Just like you said, if you're just looking at the box score, you look at that and you say, wow. Those are some pretty decent numbers for a guy who's making his first start um, in his first active NFL game of his career. Um, right off the bat, he showed you that he could do something that Gardner Minshew can't, and that was get the ball down the field. That throw to DJ Chark, Chark made a great play, got open in between a busted coverage, but Luton didn't underthrow him. He didn't overthrow him. He put it right on the money, and that's a throw that, that looking back at it again and again, I struggle to convince myself that Gardner Minshew would have made that throw. We've seen it in the past where uh, Chark has gotten up in between the coverage down the seam. I believe it was against the Texans the first time around where Minshew had him beat the coverage, couldn't get the ball down the field and it floated into an interception. So, you know, that was definitely promising. Like to see that. But again, like you're saying, if you're playing a better defense, there were at least four or five balls that hit the defense right in the hands that they could just not bring in. So that game could have easily been a blowout, could have easily gone the exact opposite way. The Jaguars could have not even been close to winning that game if, if that defense capitalizes on the opportunities that Luton gave them. Yeah, and he also fumbled in the pocket there, but uh, the Jags were able to jump on it. 
Now uh, you want to look at the Jaguars star rookie running back that we mentioned earlier. James Robinson has again just proved himself to be an all-around fantastic player and is a bright spot on this team. He needs to be in the franchise's plans going forward. Obviously, you would hope that he is, but with a new regime coming in, who knows how the draft, free agency, all that stuff is going to go. But outside looking in, you can't look at this guy and think anything but the the promise and the future that he has is bright. You know, being an undrafted rookie, people are comparing him. I heard it today, and I don't necessarily agree, but I've heard comparisons to Emmett Smith and his running style. You know, the way he's able to take three, four yard gains, turn them into five, six, seven yard games. The way he's able to make guys miss in the backfield is very decisive as a runner, quick on his feet. You know, he's drawing very lofty comparisons and he's nominated for rookie of the week again for what the fourth or fifth time um, at this point in the season, maybe even more. Uh, he's racking up yards um, from scrimmage and in, in bunches. And if you looked at uh, the graphic they showed on the, on the broadcast on Sunday, he's up there in the top four of the league as an undrafted rookie. So this guy has gone above and beyond expectations. He's become a focal point of this offense. And I finally was comfortable with the amount of usage that he got on Sunday. It looked like Jay Gruden finally bought in to the fact that if you give a guy the ball, who's averaging four and a half, five yards a carry frequently, the offense is going to move down the field. Statistically speaking, you're going to move down the field. So it was great to see him get a little bit of a bigger role this week. And I hope it continues because this guy is a baller. Yeah. And as you mentioned about next year, because that is what this season is all about at this point. um, I think it would be a complete mistake to do a, a 180 on the running back room. I think you need to keep James Robinson in as your workhorse guy. Why create a hole that you don't need to? And then I I would get it if they maybe on the end of the second day or sometime on the third day of the draft, go get a compliment type back for Robinson. But you do not need to replace him with a first or second round pick, really even a third round pick, in my opinion. You can get a guy to compliment him, but he deserves to be a starting running back in the NFL. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. And I think... The only only place that I would differ in this argument is that if you go get a guy and, you know, because, look, James Robinson is cheap. He's skilled and he's cheap. If you want to go out and get a guy for agency that maybe you want to ground and pound a little bit more and maybe use James Robinson as that second man, but still, you know, giving him 10, 15 carries, preserve that young body. Go get a guy that maybe is going to produce a little bit more, has a little bit more seasoning in the NFL uh, and kind of, you know, bolster your running game. I don't think it's ever a bad idea to have two guys who can run the ball effectively and, you know, and rotate them in and out. We see with a lot of teams that have two backs that are extremely successful in this league. You go back to some of the Jacksonville glory days, you know, with Fred Taylor and Mojo D having two very successful backs can vault you up in the standing, especially in the AFC. I think you got a lot of defenses, uh, you know, that, that can be run against. Um, and I think as the game progresses towards a, a, passing happy league these running backs are gonna have more opportunities because teams are going to go for secondary they're gonna start bolstering their secondary obviously you can't deny the importance of a front seven on a defense but if teams are having to defend you know uh, the majority of a pass happy league that's going to leave some openings uh, for the running game in my opinion um this is you know kind of some old school thinking here but you can never go wrong with having two backs who can effectively run the ball 
I agree with you. I just don't think they need to spend a lot of capital on getting someone that uh, is going to kind of take Robinson out of the starting lineup. If you want to get a compliment, I'm all good with that. Another effective runner, I'm all good with that. But I think Robinson has earned the right to be a starting running back next year. Now, uh, both coordinators you mentioned, Jay Gruden called a good game in terms of getting Robinson the ball. I think he did a lot of good things as well in the passing department. Todd Wash, I mean, this guy is way too far gone to earn a job here again next year, in my opinion. Um, He should have been gone probably multiple seasons ago. But he called a good game in this one. Um, You look at what the Jaguars were doing defensively, and it seemed like he was finally doing some things that played into the strengths of his players. I saw Josh Allen and Caleb Von Chason standing up and rushing the passer. That suits their skill sets much better than, you know, getting a hand in the dirt. And it was effective at times. I liked seeing that. I liked seeing Costin get in the lineup. Um, I liked seeing some blitz packages, a lot more corner blitzes. You saw Trey Herndon getting in there a lot. You saw Joe Schobert at linebacker blitzing. You saw them showing blitz and then dropping out of blitz. So they were just doing more things to confuse Deshaun Watson. And now, of course, they ended up losing and giving up 27 points. But uh, I think Todd Wash called a good game. And really, the first touchdown was not a schematic issue. That was definitely execution on the on the defensive back. Sidney Jones tried to go under a block instead of cutting off Cooks's route to the sideline there. And then you look at the two big plays C.J. Henderson gave up. Was that a pass interference on Will Fuller down the field? I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I get why the penalty was thrown when you saw a little bit of contact, but it looked questionable to me. And then on the Will Fuller touchdown uh, against C.J. Henderson, it was an oddly placed ball by Deshaun Watson. I don't think Henderson was ready for it. Had Watson done what a normal quarterback does in that situation which is throw deep or throw towards the sideline or back shoulder cj henderson was in perfect position but watson kind of lofted it up there and let will fuller come back to the ball on the inside which is usually not a place uh from that from that position on the field with the receiver and cornerback that you see the ball thrown so henderson wasn't ready for it there again i don't think that is on wash i think for the most part when you take away those three plays which were not schematic issues you're looking at a very good defensive game plan we all know and all the listeners know our feelings toward wash especially my feelings toward todd wash get him out of town should have been out of town i get that but I'm always one who will give credit where credit is due. And personally, in my opinion, if you take away the bogus Will Fuller touchdown that you were just talking about that I'll speak on here in a few moments, that should have been negated by an egregious missed delay of game call. The Jaguars defense really only gave up 20 points. And if you're looking at it from this perspective, this is the second time this season where the Jaguars have played the Texans very well defensively, in my opinion. Obviously, the first time they met through three quarters, the Jaguars were playing the best defensive game they had played up until this weekend. And like you said, Todd Wash did a lot of different things schematically that I liked. He finally brought some pressure. He finally 
put the guys in a position to succeed based on their skill set. Like you said, he had rushers standing up. He did a lot of different things that we haven't seen before. I mean, there were two or three plays where third and long, you've got five guys standing up on the offensive line, moving around, causing confusion. That's that's great, especially when you have guys who aren't necessarily the elite of the elite. When you don't have top-tier guys on a defense, you got to do some things differently to confuse quarterbacks and put your guys in a position to succeed. And I think he did that. He did that very, very well. Um, Obviously, the Jags almost got to Deshaun Watson um, for a safety. Uh, They put more pressure on Deshaun Watson in this game than they put on any quarterback uh, the entire season, or probably all of them combined, um, if I may say so. And um, the defense played the best that they possibly could and still gave up 20 points. So you're just really seeing, you know, the ceiling here for that side of the ball as, as much as unfortunate as it is, they did everything they could. They played as well as they physically possibly could. And it just wasn't good enough. And I mean, that's been the talk all season. This defense just simply isn't good enough. And CJ Henderson, I understand what you're talking about in regards to the placement of that ball, that Will Fuller 70, Something yard touchdown. Yeah. Have you rewatched it? It was so weird. It's just not what you expect Absolutely. at all. And watching it live, I was like, oh, CJ's in great position. Great position where that ball was supposed to be thrown. CJ was in great position. But that's kind of what good quarterbacks in this league can do to you. Now, I'm not saying that Deshaun Watson meant to throw it inside, but CJ Henderson didn't have his eyes on the ball. He had his eyes on the man. And that made it really easy for Will Fuller to get back inside, come around him, get back to that ball. Once Will Fuller starts trying to look for that ball, you've got to get your eyes on that ball if you're C.J. Henderson, especially in that regards, because if you fight him back towards the ball, he impedes your route, that could be offensive pass interference. Either way, you always got to find the ball. So that was where he kind of messed up was, I know the play was botched, should have been a dead ball. I get that. We're trying to play catch up here, but, you know, CJ Henderson, you've got to find the ball. You were in great position, but now it's time to adjust. Deshaun Watson was letting his receiver adjust with that throw. Now you've got to adjust as well. And we didn't see that. So that's a little bit not discouraging, but a mistake that he will have to realize and going forward this year, make sure he doesn't make again. Yeah, I'm not sure how many corners would have made that play. Like I said, it was just kind of weird. Maybe film study will allow him to be more prepared for that in the future. And like you said, get his head around quicker and just kind of be be more ready for all the eventual possibilities that could happen instead of just playing what he thinks will happen. So, yeah, certainly that was disappointing for Henderson. But outside of that, I thought he played well. I thought he tackled very well again, which again has been going under the radar a little bit because he's a guy that is helping you when it comes to getting runners down on his side of the field. And you cannot kind of overstate how valuable that is for a defense, for a cornerback to be such a sure tackler. Obviously, the primary thing you want from a cornerback is coverage. And he's getting there in coverage, in my opinion. But he's definitely bringing it as a tackler. He has been impressive, to say the least, in the tackling department. Um, and that's huge for a guy on the outside, especially in, you know, the stretch run schemes and stuff like that. The offenses are going to give you, if you get a guy who can crash down inside, disrupt the play, make a tackle, isn't afraid of contact. That is huge. So for that, I commend him. Um, you know, the coverage skills, hopefully he'll grow, become that lockdown guy that, you know, we expected and wanted him to be. Um, and, and I do believe he'll get there. 
We haven't seen it yet, but he'll get there. Um, but the tackling, yeah, man, you, you can't say anything negative about that. It's great to see him not shy away from contact like uh, another guy out there on the edge used to do a couple years ago. Yeah, and it is frustrating, I'm sure, for him because and the coaches because they'll hear people, you know, kind of giving him some scorn for giving up those two big plays where he legitimately, the rest of the game, I watched every snap over and over again <laughs> this week I have. He was in great position on pretty much every other play besides those two plays. And even even on the two plays he gave up, he was in good position. He just couldn't really make the play. So I'm sure that's frustrating for him, but you've got to finish plays. You can't just be in position. You've got to finish. So he's got to work on that. Um, getting back to the offensive side of the ball real quick, uh, you saw DJ Chark kind of have a coming out party again after two down games. He wasn't super efficient. Uh, he did drop a pass and a couple more passes that Luton was looking for him didn't connect, but he made seven catches on 12 targets, obviously had the 73 yard touchdown and he made a lot of other plays in the passing game as well. I think he had 140 total yards, something like that. So really good to see the Jaguars pro bowl receiver get back on track and hopefully him and Luton can continue to connect as the weeks move. The forward. number I like there is 12. 12 targets to your number one Pro Bowl caliber receiver. That's what he should be getting week in and week out. 10 to 15 targets. Yeah, and he did he did get that the week prior, or not the week prior because they were on by, but the prior game he did. But um, Or excuse me, I think it was maybe one catch for seven yards the, or for on seven targets the game before and then like seven catches on 14 targets the game before that. So they... Obviously, you want to target him more than seven times in a game, but they were trying. Minshew was, but he just wasn't getting it to him for whatever reason. Yeah, it reason. just needs to be consistent. Week in and week out, 10 to 15 targets. That's exactly where you should be in regards, like I said, your number one Pro Bowl caliber receiver. And what I really liked and what I think Chark probably really likes is that Luton's arm adds another dimension for Chark in the passing game. It lets him get downfield, as we saw on that first touchdown pass. And that's really where Chark excels, is getting down the field. He's a stretch-the-field kind of guy. I think he can really turn into a true number one receiver in the sense that he can run the short routes, he can run the intermediate routes, he can get deep. But right now, his strength is stretching the field, getting behind corners, making catches in between zones. And up until this point, that's not something that Minshew has been very um commendable with, I guess you could say. It's his deep ball and, and his ability to get the ball down the field. And a lot of that does have to kind of, you know, rely on the fact that the Texans weren't really generating that much pressure. I don't really think they were too worried about putting a lot of pressure on Luton. So I think you didn't see as much as you would have saw maybe if Minshew was back there. And I don't know if that speaks more volumes to defenses not really giving Minshew any credit or really thinking that he's going to bother them in the second half of the defense. They're just worried about getting to him, not letting him throw the ball, um, or if they just didn't think that Luton was going to be able to really sling it like he did in some instances. Um, but neither really matters. The, the thing that matters here is that Chark was targeted 
heavily on Sunday, and you have to have that going forward. Obviously, um, he dropped a few balls. He dropped one right in his hands that, I mean, really it looked like Luton just kind of fired a bullet that he wasn't ready for um, on a little comeback route on the outside. But uh, all in all, you have to be impressed with the game Chark had, and it's really promising to see him uh, put up those numbers. Yeah, it was. It was exciting. Hopefully they can keep it going moving forward. And now flipping back uh, to the other side of the ball to close out this Jags-Texans talk before we get into the officiating. Taven Bryan, as we mentioned, he was not in the starting lineup. Doug Costin took more reps than him at 3-Tech. And um, Daniel Ekowale also got in there and was able to contribute. But Costin, he played much better than Taven Bryan in the snaps that he did get. Uh, I believe Costin got 23 snaps and Brian got, excuse me, Costin got 29 snaps. Brian got 23. That's the first time this season that Brian hasn't been like the leader on the defensive line and snaps. And it's just great to see some new blood in there. Costin played really well in training camp, was difficult to block. He wound up with four pressures in this one, also contributed two tackles. And him and Hamilton, they were kind of able to lock down the middle of that um, at the middle of that line against the run. And the Texans ended up with uh, over 100 rushing yards. But over half of that was just from Watson scrambling around. So they did a really good job against the run in this one and hopefully Costin and Hamilton will continue to be the two guys getting the most reps on the inside. I mean, that's what happens when you're ineffective. And I hate that it's taken them this long to realize, especially this season, 10 weeks into this season that Taven Bryant for majority of his career has been ineffective. And you hate to see it because that's obviously a first round draft pick that I've said from the start, I think is, is going to end up as a bust and it's slowly coming to fruition for him. Uh, but it is promising to see guys like Doug Costin get out there, make an impact. Uh, hopefully they can improve because you've got a lot of young guys on that line that I think can then really slide right in there and replace Bryant pretty quickly. Uh, but they're not going to be able to if you don't give them any playing time. So just like you said, you know, a big point of today's episode is the future of this franchise is going to be determined, um, you know, in the next year or two. And this year is all about evaluating the talent that you have. So it's time to start evaluating that young talent. And if certain guys aren't cutting it, it's time to let the other guys get some experience, get, get a chance to prove themselves. And I think that's what you saw on Sunday. I think that's what you're going to see going forward for the rest of the year, especially on the defensive line. Yeah, I do too. And then getting into the final two guys I really wanted to touch on here. Josh Allen, people are giving him a load of crap. And I, I think that people that are giving him a hard time aren't really, really watching closely. I mean, he has missed two games plus some extra time in another game with the knee injury. He's been battling through that. He lost Unique Ngakwe and Calais Campbell. And he's still out there creating pressures. He's still out there getting quarterback hits. Is he getting the sack numbers you want? No, absolutely not. But this is a second-year player that is for the first time having to be the guy on the end. And he's still generating pressure. He's still playing very good against the run. He is making a positive impact for this defense. And I think when you get more production around him, uh, you will see better results for Josh Allen, and that's just the way it is. And also, he's got to continue to develop. This is a very young kid. Came out after his junior year, uh, obviously had a very good rookie season with Calais Campbell and Nick Ngakwe. 
uh, kind of allowing him to come at quarterbacks free a little bit, but he's getting double teamed this year quite a bit. And he's taken on those double teams and still creating pressures. I think you will see him continue to improve as the season goes on. And I think he's going to be everything you want him to be uh, for the long haul in Jacksonville. It's just not panning out in his second year, as you would have hoped. And then chase on everybody gives him a hard time. Rightfully. So he's really struggled transitioning from a three, four, outside linebacker to a 4-3 defensive end. And the biggest difference right there between those two positions is just whether or not you have your hand in the dirt. Like we mentioned before, Todd Wash allowed him to rush the passer a little bit with his hand, uh, or excuse me, with his hand not in the dirt. So, And this week, he was more productive. It didn't show up on the stat sheet, but he was generating more pressure than he normally does, even on only 18 snaps. He looked better. Uh, he did make one really bad error in run defense. Duke Johnson kind of just juked him out of his shoes, which was disappointing to see when Chason had pretty much had him dead to rights in the backfield. But overall, I think this is a guy still transitioning. I'm not anywhere close to giving up on him. I know a lot of people are already labeling him as a bust. I think if you get him in more situations that are advantageous to his skill set, you'll continue to see more positive results. Are Josh Allen's numbers down? Yes. Is Josh Allen's production down? Yes. But you identified the issue right there. Losing Ngakwe, losing Campbell, who are they looking at? Who is the offensive line looking at? We're looking at Josh Allen, a guy who produced heavily last year. Let's make sure we know where he's at at all times. We're taking care of him. We're not worrying about anybody else because really up to this point, nobody else has shown themselves worthy of needing any attention. So you're seeing that. You're seeing double teams. You're seeing him become the focal point of blocking schemes. You don't see teams running outside towards him as much this year. Um, Obviously, he was very great in the run game last year. So when you only have one guy that's really you know, a threat to make an impact on that side of the ball, teams can scheme for that. Teams can plan to take you out of the game. When you don't have other guys that can make plays, it kind of leaves you on an island. And I think we're seeing that. Um, I expect him to fully bounce back next year. I'm not worried about Josh Allen. Chase, on the other hand, again, not ready to label him a bust. I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, I think that he's not being used the right way. I think his skill set, his body type, everything that he has to offer really points to a uh, stand-up linebacker, edge, whatever you want to label him as. But he's not going to be a guy who's going to put his hand in the dirt uh, in close quarters with the offensive lineman and really make an impact. He doesn't have the size to do that if you really look at him. And I think prior to the season, we expected to see a lot more 3-4 than we have been. And I think that's become an issue as well. You're not putting these guys in the best situation uh, for their skill sets. And I'm not worried about it this year because, again, you're just evaluating the talent that you have. I think, obviously, we're circling the drains here on this one. But the next defensive coordinator that comes in, I think, is going to have a different mindset on how they're going to use these guys. And I think that's needed. Um, I don't understand why Todd Wash doesn't change things up a little bit. If you like that that 4-3 base set, I'm okay with that. But let these guys stand up on the end. Don't force them to put their hand in the dirt when they're not effective. You know, that's just not doing 
that's doing them a disservice. You're putting these players in a position to not be effective, to not use their skill set, to not be the best player that can be. And I think that's poor coaching. So if you're not going to change the scheme a little bit, at least change what you allow them to do. Um, you know, I'd still like to see that three, four. I think the team would thrive in a three, four set, allowing those two guys to play off the edge. Pretty much every single play uh, would definitely benefit them a lot more, especially chase on than putting their hands in the dirt. If you want to, change it up a little bit, kind of go with maybe like uh, a two, a two, five type set. You know, if you want to alter that a little bit, but still keep those seven guys in the box, I understand that, but you've got to make some changes, do something a little bit different to put these guys in a position to really show you what they can do. And he's just not doing that. Well, he did do it this this week. week. Right. For like the first time ever. It's like, okay, Hey Todd, You've always insisted on not doing this. You do it for once. You let these guys stand up and get after the passer, and you get thirty it was, it was freaking pressure. I mentioned it earlier. It was the one thing that I will say for Todd Wash this week. And and again, we're speaking strictly on this week at this point. Those few plays where he let them stand up, move around, cause some confusion. Look what happened. They almost got a safety on the goal line. But again, we didn't see it throughout the game as much as I would have liked. Seeing it is definitely a promising sign because he did show it. But now that you've seen how effective it can be, I want to see it more, especially when you're going to play this guy next week who is an absolute legend, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit more, I think, down the road here in a few minutes. But you're going to have to do some things against the quarterbacks that you face in this upcoming stretch of games to get them off their game. And if you're not going to be effective just doing what you're normally doing, then you got to do some things like you did on Sunday. Stand them up, move them around, create some pressure from different angles, really throw things off. You saw that it was effective now. Please do it more going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Now, our last point from this game. Do you want to roast the officials oh, or should I do? I don't know if there's enough roasting to do. I just there were some questionable calls. The play the, the pass interference on CJ again, like you said, it was a ticky tacky call, but by the textbook, that was the right call. However, what I can't ignore and what I can't excuse is how you let the play clock hit zero the game clock run for three or four seconds and you not realize that the play clock is dead. There's literally an official made for watching the play clock. The back judge is supposed to be watching the play clock behind the quarterback the entire time. As soon as I hit zero, he looks down. If the center hasn't started the motion of snapping the ball, you throw that flag. I, it was just an absolute hogwash of a mess. I don't understand what was going on. That's absolute BS and cannot happen in an NFL game. That's my uh, two cents for it. You can roast them as much as you want. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to get too mad about the PI on CJ. Um, Watson, I do believe, was down in the end zone. Obviously, the Jaguars could have challenged that, I believe. I don't believe that was in the last two minutes of the the safety. I don't remember. I looked back at that one, and yeah. I will have to give him the credit there on that. If you go back and look at it, his toe, right as his leg's about to hit the ground, he pushes off and just just slightly separates. He might have been able to, to get a second look at that, but I think he, he kept it up. Interesting. I thought he went down. We'll have to take a deeper look at that, obviously. And then the Schobert, he got late hit or unnecessary roughness. Watson was like literally stepping out of bounds when he hit him. That was a little frustrating. I know they're going to call that on, especially when it's quarterbacks now, but some questionable calls. Definitely, I think just the one you mentioned, the delay of game, 
that was a backbreaker. So frustrating. It's not that we want the Jaguars to win these games, but it, you still get frustrated when the team you're covering and rooting for has these unfortunate things go against them. So, uh, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for Jags Texans. Make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. All right, so we're going to talk some Jaguars at Packers, and then we're going to talk about the draft. So the Jaguars, I believe they're 13 and a half point underdogs on the road in this one. I think uh, this one should bring the Jaguars coordinators right back down to earth real quick after what was probably a moral victory for this squad last week. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see a single phase area aspect of the game in which the Jaguars best the Packers. Um, I really anywhere offensively defensively on the line uh, wide receivers quarterbacks running backs special teams there's not a single facet of this game that I think the Jaguars are better than the Packers yeah I've got to agree with you I mean they're very very solid on both sides of the ball Uh, I do think if there's one area attack for the Jaguars area to attack for the Jaguars on offense. It's pound of the rock with J- James Robinson. Yeah. Nope. Um, the way the Vikings beat the Packers a couple weeks ago was just giving it to Dalvin cook. And now Dalvin cook is obviously a much different beast than James Robinson. Um, but if you can take advantage of the Packers defense, it's probably going to be uh, doing it on the ground. I mean, for your own health as well, just run the ball, limit the amount of time that the Packers have the ball they're going to shred the defense. I mean, it, it just to save yourself the embarrassment, to save yourself, you know, the the onslaught that's coming, they should run the ball. They should try to eat clock, control the game, because that's really the only way, in my opinion, that you would even have a shot of winning is if you just keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. Yeah, like you said, Aaron Rodgers, he's likely going to have a field day. Aaron Jones as well. He's one of the most electric running backs in football. He came back last week. So the offense for the Jaguars, I mean, I would not be surprised to see if Jake Luton is a little sloppy with the ball again for the Packers to actually really capitalize and get like three-plus turnovers off of him uh, on the defensive side of the ball, which I hear Alexander playing great in the back end for them. And then Zadarius Smith is still wreaking havoc rushing the passer. It's a rough matchup. I mean, the Packers are a Super Bowl contender, no doubt about it. I think uh, their record may not indicate it, but they're probably better this year than they were last year, better suited to make that Super Bowl run. So we'll see how it plays out, but it could be very ugly for this. This is going to look like uh, that old MTV show pros versus Joe's. Uh, That's how this game is going to go. This is going to be a no contest. Um, Aaron Rodgers, like you said, is going to have a field day. You know, they might even get a, what's his face? Um, What's the backup number eight? He played last week. They might as well even get him in the game. Um, Aaron Jones is poised to have a big day. Devontae Adams, who's been an absolute freak, I mean, it's probably going to just run circles around this secondary. You've got the Preston brothers that are going to be pl- applying tons of pressure on Luton. They're not going to hold back. You know, it's one thing that I saw the Texans not really do is apply a lot of pressure. The Packers are are built on applying pressure. They've got some great uh, defensive players in the secondary who can lock you down for three or four seconds and allow uh, those two outside backers to really get a ton of pressure on your quarterback. And like you said, this defense this week in the Packers is not one that's going to, uh, you know, let 
opportunities run by them. If Luton puts the ball in the hands of Alexander, Darnell Savage, one of these secondary players, if if you know he's not being careful with the ball in the pocket, they're going to force turnovers and they're not going to drop them like the Texans did. So it could get ugly. Yeah, it really could. And of course, there are a couple uh, reunions, if you will, here. Mercedes Lewis is still with the Packers. I believe he caught a touchdown pass uh, a couple weeks ago. Good to see him do that. Doug Marone was asked by Mark Long earlier this week about that situation, and Marone didn't really give much of a comment. But Mercedes Lewis, probably the best Jaguars tight end in franchise history, had some really good years here. Excellent run blocker. Happy to see him doing well. It'll be interesting to see if the Packers try to use him at Absolutely, all. Absolutely, and, and good for him. I mean, I don't think this is going to be a you know bloodthirsty revenge game. Mercedes Lewis had a fantastic career in Jacksonville. Obviously, I would have loved to have seen him finish his career here, still be here, if that's the case at this point. Um, but obviously, it didn't work out. But I don't think you're going to see any quote-unquote, revenge games for him. Um, if Lazard gets back on the field, that'll be something interesting to see. Obviously, a guy who spent some time on the Jaguars practice squad. Um, I think he made it up onto the active roster at some point during his time here, but obviously never really became a uh, producer in this offense. Obviously, when you have Aaron Rodgers throwing you the ball, things are a little bit different. Uh, but this definitely starts um, you know, the, the trickle-down of quote-unquote revenge games for former Jags as it slowly culminates down to Week 15 this year. Yeah, and then Josh Jones, the Jaguars' starting strong safety. He'll return to Green Bay after he was released by them, I believe, two years after being a second-round pick. So maybe for him there might be some revenge on his mind. Not sure about that, but it'll be interesting to see uh, how he performs against Aaron Rodgers. And while you could say Josh Jones might be able to give the Jaguars' defense some tips on Aaron Rodgers, I guarantee you Aaron Rodgers knows how to take advantage of Josh <laughs> Absolutely. Jones. Absolutely. And uh, if he didn't, then he would probably still be there. If anybody gets uh, the best of Aaron Rodgers on that team, I'm sure they're they're keeping him around. But Josh Jones has definitely been um, somebody that we've had our eye on throughout this season. Um, and as we talk about evaluating the young talent on this team, he's a guy uh, that we're going to be looking at a lot. Um, like you said, former second-round pick. Um, has had his fair share of fantastic moments with the team thus far. Um, I hope he improves and and keeps improving um, as the Jaguars obviously have a need for improvement in the secondary. So let's see how he fares against uh, an all-time legend this weekend. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not expecting too much from him, to be honest with you. Now, the moment I've been waiting for is some draft talk. We can talk about the Jaguars ad nauseum, obviously, but I'm really pumped up about the draft. I'm getting hot and heavy into it now that the Jaguars are pretty much completely eliminated. Maybe not mathematically, but they certainly are in every other way eliminated from the playoffs. So the Jaguars moved up to number two overall with the Giants taking down the football team. (laughs) Of course, formerly known as the Washington Redskins. So the Giants, they were in the number two spot. The Jaguars and Giants were both one-win teams, the only one-win teams in football, and the Giants went ahead and beat the football team. So the Jaguars jumped them. The Jets on Monday Night Football almost took down the Patriots. They couldn't hang on. They remain at number one as the only winless team in football. So Jaguars getting into that number two spot, they're now in position, regardless of what anyone does around them, 
to land one of the top two quarterbacks in the draft. And as we've mentioned on this show, their schedule ahead is very difficult. There really aren't any winnable games on that schedule for the Jaguars. So you're looking at um, likely the opportunity to draft Justin Fields. I still don't think there's any way Lawrence falls out of favor as the number one quarterback. But, uh, yeah, what are you thinking here? What, Man, what's the got Jets you going? had me going last night. Let me tell you, I was screaming at the TV. Never been a bigger Jets fan in my entire life. Really thought they were going to eke it out. But, you know, bad teams find a way to lose. Uh, we saw that last night. The thing that bothers me the most right now is that the Jags almost won on Sunday. And, again, not to say that I wouldn't be happy if my team wins because, obviously, you want to always see them win. But the future of the franchise – Getting them out of this this limbo all revolves around finding a franchise quarterback. So that's my number one goal is to have this team find a franchise quarterback. Where it's going to get interesting is, like you said, there aren't a lot of winnable games down the stretch here, but gut feeling always is going to be that the Jags are going to squeak out one or two down the stretch. I don't see this team finishing 1-15. and 15. I can't really wrap my head around that. I think it's hard to see them losing out as you would with any team. It's really hard to see the Jets losing out. I mean, obviously, they have the ability to do so, and so do the Jaguars. But again, it's the NFL. Any given Sunday, it's really hard to look at a team, and, and no matter how bad they are, and just say that they're just going to lose every single game. It just doesn't happen very often. So the thing I'm most worried about is the Jaguars finding a way to scrape by with another victory or two. I think one more is really, really um, likely. I don't think this team is going to lose the next, what is it, eight games down the stretch. I just don't see that happening. Uh, It's very unlikely. Could it happen? Yes, but very unlikely. And then when they do squeak out that win, that's going to put you in a really tough spot because I do think that there are four to six teams that have a very realistic shot at ending up 2-14. and 14. And the Jaguars have one of the toughest strength of schedule. And that is the tiebreaker in draft. Uh, so if they somehow manage to finish in a tie with four or five teams at 2-14, and 14, they drop all the way back to the fifth or sixth pick. So really at this point, it's one or two or nothing. And that really kind of bothers me a little bit. Yeah, I really do think the Jaguars are going to go 1-15 because of the schedule down the stretch. I think what you've seen over the last two weeks, or excuse me, last two games against the Texans and Chargers is a little bit of fool's gold against defenses that are not playing well and offenses that are not quite performing as good as they should be. Uh, I, I think the worst team that they face is the Vikings, and I think the Vikings are much better than the Texans or the Chargers. I just think that's the way it's going to play out. Could be wrong. Of course, they could eke out a victory, and we would see how that all plays out. But they're currently in position to land Justin Fields, uh, and I think that's an awesome position to be in. Um, As I mentioned, I think Fields is definitely behind Lawrence, and I don't think that's going to change, although some people have speculated that it could. I don't see it happening because Fields is – as much of a spectacular athlete he is, accurate footballs, uh, great deep passer as well. He just can do it all. He hasn't been tasked with reading defenses and going through his progressions and reading the entire field nearly as much as Trevor Lawrence has in his time at Clemson. And I think Lawrence 
ultimately has a better skill set and is more advanced at the quarterback position. Is He's a can't-miss guy. I think Fields is right there as a can't-miss guy as well. He just has a little bit more development from a um, mental standpoint that we need to see before we can say that he's in the same tier as Lawrence. And then the guy that's really got the college football and draft world buzzing is Zach Wilson from BYU. He absolutely just lit up Boise State uh, last weekend on Friday. And he's a guy that quick release, very good at getting the ball out quickly, and he can just throw dimes deep down the field, all over the field. He has gotten a little too comfortable, I think, and he's a little bit sloppy with the football at times. But from a talent perspective, arm strength, height, he's got the mobile uh, mobility that you like to see. Not like a Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, but he's still quite mobile in his own right. He's starting to look like a clear-cut QB3, in my opinion. And obviously you want to land Lawrence or Fields, but I think this is a draft where potentially there's going to be more than two franchise quarterbacks coming out. And you're slowly seeing some of these guys inch up the board like you were talking about. So first and foremost, if you've got number one overall, I don't care what team you are, you're taking Trevor Lawrence or you're trading out because you don't need a quarterback. But I think the teams at the top of this list, besides maybe the Cowboys, the Giants seem to be uh, you know, sticking with Daniel Jones, for lack of a better word. I meant loyal. But you get it. You cannot pass on a player – of this caliber. Trevor Lawrence is something that we haven't seen. And I, I can't remember how long, I mean, obviously the closest comparison, you know, is going to be uh, Andrew Luck out of Stanford uh, a couple years ago. But again, I, I still think that Trevor Lawrence offers you more and is showing you more than Andrew Luck ever did at his time at Stanford. And like you said, Lawrence is light years above fields in regards to development. I think Fields is definitely going to need more time to develop. And I think Fields' skill set is going to be most productive in a different style of offense. He needs to be put in the right place to be effective immediately. If not, it's going to take some time to develop. I think Trevor Lawrence, no matter where you put him, you're looking at winning immediately right away, a guy who's really going to turn the franchise around. Um, you talk about some of these other guys who are slowly starting to make their way up the list. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, Zach Wilson out of BYU. I watched that game on Friday. Some of the throws he was making were just absolutely jaw dropping. Um, yeah, yeah. Those throws, who do they remind you of? Because there's one guy that, I mean, it's clear as day. I don't know if we're on the talent. same page here, but with the quick release and the way he threw it and the posturing, and honestly, it looked a lot like Aaron Rodgers to me. I don't know. If- <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy weekend. that we're on the same page there because that's exactly what I was thinking. That quick release, sort of that almost – he doesn't even have to wind up. His arm just kind of flicks, just like a little flick of the wrist. He launches that ball. He's able to make precise throws with his body in all sorts of positions, uh, which is not obviously something that's ideal. You don't ever want to look at a quarterback and say he can – you know, he, he's throwing the ball with his shoulders – not pointing towards his, his target and stuff like that. But when you see a guy like Rodgers, when you watch the throws he makes, his body is almost never in proper position, and he's just dropping dimes left and right. And that's something I saw in Zach Wilson on Friday. I mean, I was literally just in awe at what he was doing to the Boise State defense. And I get it. A lot of those throws were reckless. 
Um, his receivers were still making great plays and coming up with some of those some of those catches that they should definitely not have been making. So um, you could definitely argue that you know some of his throws are definitely not uh, thought through or you know definitely should not have been made, but he's making them. Uh, and sometimes you know it takes a certain kind of moxie and recklessness that you know, a quarterback can really harness and turn into some great plays. Um, a lot of these gunslinger guys nowadays, you know, some of the throws that they're making, they're not supposed to be making. Um, and that's something that you can definitely attribute to the way that Zach Wilson plays. You also can't disregard a guy like Kyle Trask, who really for all intents and purposes is going to be more of a project development guy, but he's showing that he has the tools and the skill set necessary to be an NFL quarterback. He's making great throws he has a big arm. He's got a big frame and a big body that can take hits. He's not scared to throw down the field and get into tight windows. Um, playing one game this year definitely is going to hurt Trey Lance, in my opinion, because the more that you see guys like Wilson and Trask putting these great games together, they're going to start climbing the boards. I think Trey Lance is going to slowly start falling down the boards. But regardless, I think it's very realistic to think that you're going to have five quarterbacks in round one this year. Yeah, maybe even six. A lot of people are rising on Mac Jones being able to distribute the ball all over the place with accuracy. And um, I'm still higher on Lance than I am on Trask. I think I'm sold on every part of Trask's game outside of the arm strength. I don't see the arm strength there. Obviously, he can throw the ball deep, but I just don't think the zip is on it all over the field. I don't think the ease of throwing the ball is quite there. But He's a guy that knows how to manipulate the pocket, knows how to read the field, big frame at 6'5", 240. You like all that stuff. I'm not sold on the arm. I'm not sure that he has to have an elite arm to be a successful quarterback. But to be a franchise quarterback, I absolutely do think you want to have that elite arm. And then going back to Wilson for a second, when you talk about a guy that doesn't have to throw on platform and can still be deadly accurate like that, that's a special talent. And as long as you can hone it in and find that balance between uh, going for the big, exciting plays and then also uh, kind of just taking what the defense gives you at times and going through your progressions on offense, as long as you can find that balance, this is a guy that should be an absolute stud. Lance, it did hurt him only playing him one game, obviously, this year at North Dakota State. Didn't play very well. And it's hard to expect him to play well in that game. They hadn't been like practicing as if they were going to have a season. They're not having a full season this fall, obviously. So that's an unfortunate situation for Trey Lance. I still think he'll be a first-round quarterback. He is a bit of a project in my mind. But I think he has a lot more talent than Kyle Trask or Mac Jones. In regards to Mac Jones, obviously a local Duval guy coming out of the Bulls High School. Uh, It's really hard not to just group him with every other successful Alabama quarterback besides Tua. Obviously, Tua was a different animal that we hadn't seen at Alabama before. But when you look back at guys like A.J. McCarron, and you look at McElroy, and you look at Mac Jones, all those guys had great careers at Alabama. It just seems like he has better and physical he might, tools than those but guys. But look at the tools he has around him. You know, he, he's he's getting the ball into playmakers' yeah. hands. He's making some good throws, don't get me wrong. The thing that Tua added that none of those other quarterbacks had was the athleticism to go out and make a play on his own. Tua could do that. I haven't seen that from Mac Jones yet. Um, and I'm not saying that he hasn't made plays. Obviously, he's made some great throws. 
and that's doable. But when you have guys like Jalen Waddle just absolutely outrunning, you know, a defense or, you know, guys like Najee Harris who you can get the ball in his hands and, and watch him work, that definitely helps. Tua was a guy that you could see move around when plays are breaking down, make his own plays, and, and extend plays. Not something we've seen from Mac Jones yet. I'm not bought in on him fully as an NFL quarterback. Kyle Trask reminds me, and I'll take your thoughts on this, but reminds me of a guy like Matt Ryan. I don't think he has as much arm as Matt Ryan, but he's got more arm than someone, say, Gardner Minshew. You know, he's right there in between. I, I wouldn't put him, you know, I, if, if we're grading Gardner Minshew on his arm, it's like a C minus in the NFL game. We're looking at Kyle Trask. I think we're looking at a B, B plus. I don't think he's got an A plus top tier arm, but it's not bad. And same thing with Matt Ryan, especially a little bit later in his career. He didn't have the throw the ball out of the stadium arm, but he's got enough of an arm and he knew how to read a defense and he makes good throws. And I think you see that a lot with Kyle Trask and he's got that big frame. Um, so definitely something to look, you know, look for, especially when you've got a guy who, like Trey Lance, you've put so much time and effort into, but now he's not going to play and you're not going to get any more tape on him. And I think that might hurt him. And I personally think if you're Trey Lance, you have to evaluate playing in spring only because it's going to bring your draft your draft rank back up, especially if you see guys like Wilson, Trask, maybe even Mac Jones starting to climb these draft boards, playing out of their minds. You got to make them remember who Trey Lance is. And if he's going to come out in the draft in April anyway, I don't think he's going to be a guy who you're starting day one. So if you're worried about having to play spring and then play again in fall, get that out of your head because I don't think you're going to come in and play immediately. So you'll have time to recover, time for your body to rest, learn the NFL offense, get give yourself a chance to really show these scouts again what you are. I know that obviously it's unconventional and not really – uh, ideal, but this whole season with COVID and everything, it's already unconventional. So do something unconventional. Yeah, I do think he would have the opportunity, depending on how the pre-draft process goes, with like um, the combine and all that stuff. Like, I do think he would have the opportunity to kind of put himself back into the top three discussion or top four discussion, really. But yeah, without seeing more, it is going to be tough, especially when guys like Kyle Trask and Mac Jones are balling out, like you mentioned. And obviously, I think regardless of what Lance does, I think Wilson is going to be in front of him uh, in terms of being the QB3. Especially after what I saw on Friday, I cannot get that out of my head. I mean, I don't know if you watched the game, but I pretty much watched all of it. It was just the throws that Wilson was making were just un believable and you'll start you'll start to see that every year we see a guy come on you know quarter halfway through the season you know bringing a team up through the ranks BYU looks legit man they look legit they've got an offense that I think can really hang with anybody um their defense will need to show some more against a better team but BYU is legit that offense is legit um and I kind of want your thoughts on on what I was talking about earlier in regards to Trey Lance do you think he should walk back and maybe play that spring season that Uh, North Dakota State is planning on playing? I mean, I'm always going to be in favor of getting more tape on a guy. So I would love to see him do that. I think it could benefit him uh, if he is able to get, like, you know, the full preparation for the season that he needs to be successful. If it's one of these things where you saw the game that they played earlier and they weren't really prepared to be a well-oiled machine on offense, that could hurt his draft stock even more than this one game already did. So if he fully commits to that spring season, 
Sure, I would love to see it. Um, and it'd be good to see. I mean, his last actual season that he played of college football, he was just amazing, fantastic. But the last game that you've got on tape, not so great. So, yeah, it would be nice to see some more film on him, obviously from a scouting perspective. Um, but, yeah, Zach Wilson, man, I'm starting to really feel like if you miss out on Lawrence and Fields, you're going to be okay with Zach Wilson as long as you've got a offensive play caller that's willing to work with what he's got. Because he's going to come in, and he's immediately going to have a top-five arm in the I, NFL. I don't know if I would go that far. Not about the arm, but in regards to if you miss out a guy, if you miss out on a guy like Lawrence or Fields, you're just going to be okay with Wilson. I don't think the Jaguars are in a position to – just be okay with somebody if they miss out on those top two guys. Um, I agree. I'm all in on getting Lawrence or Fields. He's going to be right in, in the correct – I agree with uh, you. He's going to be okay in the correct spot. If you're a team up here in the middle um, or if you're a team even you know a little bit towards the later end, maybe like the Colts who you've got a guy who's on his way out, you're looking for another young quarterback, maybe you're going to be in a better position in the right situation. I, I – I don't think he's going to fall five, out of the top really. five. I'll I don't think there's going to be right enough now. teams in the top five that need a quarterback really? for three quarterbacks to be taken. Because obviously you've got Fields, Lance, one and two most likely. Unless the Jags fall out and somebody you know moves in. I, I, you're right. I'm sorry. Fields and um, Lawrence. Fields and Lawrence. Lawrence yeah. and Fields, one and two. You're not getting out of that. But I don't, I don't see enough teams in the top five that need a quarterback or are going to go get another quarterback to where he's going to be a top five pick in my opinion. I'm just calling that right now. That can be a, a bet between us. I think Zach Wilson right, is definitely going to go in the top five. Um, we should definitely, definitely think about that going forward. Maybe we should do a little, good, uh, little friendly competition weeks in and weeks out if we find something like that that's worth putting it on. Write it we down. We should all write figure it out uh, right the compensation for the winner um, at a later date. Um, we'll, we'll do something about that, but I, I just I don't see it personally. I mean, really, who who realistically do you look at and think that they're sneaking up in, into the top five? They're going to need a quarterback. It's not going to be Dallas. Well, is it? Is it not going to be? Dallas? I, I don't or see what it I think Prescott? even now, even with everything that obviously Dak's coming off a, a big injury, but everything that he's shown you in the past, automatically you got to think just the experience alone. I, I mean, I they should think. resign him. They would be out of their mind to move on and, and move to a guy like like Zach Wilson. That is putting a lot of faith into a guy where you already have one. You look at the Giants. They said that they're pretty much locked in uh, to keeping Daniel Jones. You don't believe that? I don't believe them. They're going to say everything they can to try to get this kid going in the right direction, but if it does not happen this year, I well, can very easily right now, see I want to see. I want to look at the draft order. The Redskins obviously the Redskins. are going to be looking for a quarterback. I could see that, uh, but I'm. And then you also got to consider the trade up possibilities because if Zach Wilson continues to light the world on fire, the market for those top three quarterbacks really, is I mean, going to be just through looking the roof. At it, right now, I'm looking at, at at the draft order. The doubt. I don't think Dallas does anything. I don't think the Giants do anything. Washington. I think those are I mean, big assumptions. Maybe I really things do. change as the year goes on. But if you're Dallas. Your first order of business is Prescott. The Giants have already. It's got to be. But I, gotta I don't face trust value them to what do the Giants that. said. Obviously, them. I know that. But again, so we're taking face value. I am at least just what the Giants said. Looking after that, you've got Washington. 
Um, they could definitely be the next one looking for a quarterback. I can see that. Um, I think there are other you know, needs on these teams that are going to trump their reach for a replacement quarterback. And then who's going to move up? Looking at the next like string, you've got the Chargers, you've got the Dolphins, you've got the Bengals, maybe Carolina, maybe Atlanta. Apparently, the Dolphins are willing to really? take a quarterback. I have not next heard year. that. But again, like that's what I've. There's been reports of that. Of course, um, Flores has shot them down. But so anyways, yeah, who else do we got top there? Ten to see who would be potentially moving up. Chargers, I wouldn't see it. Miami, I don't see it. Cincinnati obviously has Joe Burrow. The next two you can look at would be Carolina, Atlanta at nine and ten. Uh, those really do. Yeah, but do they I have enough, perfect enough to move up? I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, I just think somehow, some way, Wilson is definitely going top five. I do not believe that the Cowboys are going to do what they should just because they haven't to this point. And I don't trust that the Giants are all in on Daniel Jones if he doesn't really step It'll it be up something in the next definitely few worth monitoring as we get closer to the end of the season in draft time. So um, it will. this is going to be, in my opinion, one of the most unpredictable, craziest league-altering drafts up into this date, the last few years, you've seen the NFL get into a really, really good position when it comes to quarterbacks and young quarterbacks in the league. I've, I've mentioned this before. This is the first time that I really look at the board and say, most teams have a quarterback or at least a guy that they are willing on giving a couple years to going forward to see what they can be. Uh, there aren't a lot of holes right now when it comes to quarterbacks in the NFL. So I think this will be a turning point uh, in, in the NFL history, especially with the, the youth of the quarterback position right now is probably as young as it ever has been, and we're getting another wave of young, talented arms. could really be exciting for the next 10 years. Yeah, and I think this might end up being one of the most talented quarterback classes we've seen in a five long time. First rounders. You're talking about... Yeah, that's yeah maybe six. Unheard of. Un- and think, about, Jones. think about how much of the NFL... Uh, that's That's basically 20% of the NFL right there that you are implanting franchise quarterbacks. And then we look at some of these other teams that have a guy, you know, they're obviously not moving on from um, Kansas city, uh, green Bay, not quite, but I mean, they think they have another guy right behind Aaron Rodgers, Buffalo, Baltimore, Seattle, um, you know, Oakland is an interesting, Arizona. Um, I mean, you got some question marks like Cleveland. I don't know what they what their take is on Baker. Um, Denver, they think they have their guy Drew Locke, but just overall looking at it, there are some. You don't think Drew Locke is a guy I that's going to stay? Or Baker? I, I mean, I think but maybe they think you're right. That. I, 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 I can step, but I'm saying the youth, the possibility. I haven't seen this in a while. Yeah, yeah, it really is pretty fascinating. And it'll be fascinating to see where these quarterbacks go, but I guarantee right, well, you, Zach Wilson is going it down, to the top five. Hold it for six months. We'll see what happens in April. I did. Yeah, it is going to be really fun. Uh, of course, thank you to Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Gen Jack podcast. That's going to do it for the show. Let us know what your guys' thoughts are when it comes to the Jaguars draft and these quarterbacks. We were going to talk a little bit about some other positions of need or positions that we'd like to see the Jaguars target, but we're running out of time here today. Uh, Again, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy week 10 of the NFL season as the Jaguars head to Green Bay to take on 
Aaron Rodgers, and the Packers. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, Duval. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.